0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. Today, I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us.
1: Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about making seed decisions on your farm, especially discussing soybeans. But we'll talk about a few other things today as well and get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. If you've got a question for us, just email us, radio at agphd.com. Or you can call us. Our phone lines will be open throughout the show today. The number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. All right. So I was just talking to some agronomists yesterday about making corn seed decisions. And let me let me tell you about that first and then I'll, I'll get to the soybean thing. But with corn, corn is really sensitive to weather to disease, to insects, to heat uh, as part of the weather, heat and rain, I guess. Uh, It's so much more fussy than soybeans. Soybeans have the ability to adapt to a lot of conditions. They can self-thin. They can branch out. they they, They can adapt a little bit better. So with corn, what we usually tell people is, I'd plant like 10 varieties, We'll plant at least that many on our farm. And you might say, whoa, I only plant three or four or five. Yep, my advice to you is spread your risk. And I'll tell you where that kind of started for me. So I'd heard about that growing up and in college and everything else and on the farm a little bit. But when I was a young agronomist, I there was one year, this is over 30 years ago now, or about 30 years ago now. And anyway, there was a corn that was the top yielding one in a lot of people's plots for a couple of years in a row. So there were some farmers that planted almost the whole farm to that. And then for whatever reason, that year, that corn got silk balling, where the silks didn't come out of the husk. <laughs> and in some cases, it was zero yield. So I can laugh about this now because it's 30 years later, but anybody who planted that corn, oh my goodness, were they sad. And... Some didn't make it. My point is you can't take that kind of risk. In my opinion, as an agronomist, my advice to you is don't take that kind of risk. So ever since then, I have pushed guys hard to plant lots of varieties because let's face it, nobody knows what's going to win next year. And if you don't believe that, go back a year ago and go back two years ago. And I want you to look at all the plot winners and then see where they finished in the plots this year. In a lot of cases, it was plot winner two years ago or plot winner last year. This year, bottom of the pack or middle of the pack. So I'm not saying, oh, looking at trials is completely worthless or anything like that. I am saying, number one, spread your risk. Plant a lot of varieties with corn. And two, do your homework a little bit in that you want to look for defensive traits and certain characteristics that are going to do well in your soil types. So if you have sand, it's whole different than heavy ground. If you have highly erodible land, it's different than flat land that might sit a little bit wetter and things like that. So just some things for you to think about. Now with soybeans and, and going over to that, I would say it's not quite as important, it, it seems like to me, to plant 10 or 12 or 15 varieties like we will on our farm, like we do on corn, I'm saying. But on soybeans, you know, I'd, I'd still suggest you plant several different varieties because you don't know what's going to turn out best. But the biggest decision anymore with soybeans, it seems like, is what trait are you going to go with? And a couple of years ago, it was funny, Our uh, the guys at our farm go, Brian, we don't really care what you plant and list or extend or, you know, LGT 27, whatever you want. But can you please just pick one trait? Because we're really worried about if we get in the wrong field, we're going to kill a field. And I said, yes, absolutely. That was my plan anyway. But that's really what it comes down to. I, I, and it kind of stinks because I like to plant some other varieties with other traits, but I'm so fearful that we're going to have a mistake on our farm. We're planting one trait and I would advise you to do the same thing. Now, within that trait, we're going to plant several different varieties and spread our maturity out a little bit because with soybeans what I worry about most is planting a soybean that's too late I get an early frost and all of a sudden we have some green beans it's happened to us before it's gonna happen to us again now I like planting later varieties because on average they yield more so for seed production years ago we used to plant a lot of late group zeros and early group ones and I I just got tired of taking that 10 bushel hit in some cases 15 and we we in our area plant about a 2.0 maybe 2.2, something like that on average. So we'll push it to 2.3, 2.4 for maturity and go as low as maybe a 1.7 or something like that. And if I'm in that range, I feel pretty darn good. Now, if you want to go super with a super early variety, you certainly can. That's totally your choice. And some years, it's going to be great, but there are other years it's going to be terrible. And that's why we usually say, Look, you got to plant something that's appropriate for your maturity range and if you want to take 10% of your acres or even 20% and do something way out of the ordinary, fine. But just don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't even half the farm. Don't don't go to super early varieties and don't look at one year. A lot of people make decisions based on one year and I go, "Oh my goodness." You know, I I I've, I've been on the farm my entire life and so I can remember probably 45 crops. Well, when you have that many years of experience in trying things, I feel pretty comfortable. But if you're looking at one year's worth of data, that's not enough. That's just not enough. So last year some guys said, Oh, the early varieties were good, so I'm going all early varieties. No way. Too risky. I've just have seen failures so many times in the past. Spread that
0: maturity a little Well, and again, there are some plots where the early varieties are better. And Absolutely. there are others where they got crushed. And you just don't – boy, it's just so much risk. And I I do always think about how Dad always said the difference between farmers who were successful and those who were not successful is the size of their mistakes and yeah, putting – all your eggs into one basket uh, yeah that that's could be a big big mistake. now
1: here here's the other thing new varieties on average beat the old varieties and i realize you're probably more comfortable with older varieties but you got to be trying some percentage of new varieties we plant a lot of new varieties but i don't we don't put them on a huge percentage of acres or anything so I I really encourage you to do that. Keep looking for the newest, best, greatest thing because it keeps coming every year. The varieties get better and almost half the varieties in corn and soybeans are brand new each year. We'll talk about soybean seed decisions right after this.
2: When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist weed control system. Just better. With no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com.
0: One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improving drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Monday, January 31st, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or you're looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, NRCS guidelines, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details and to register, go to agphd.com.
2: Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13for13 at farmshopmfg.com.
0: back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're going to be talking about soybean seed decisions, and the timing couldn't be better. A lot of farmers making seed decisions right now. I know a lot of the big seed companies out there have got seed discount days in November and December, and a large portion of the seed gets booked during those months. So really important to think through some of these things. We're going to talk about some of the lessons we've learned here over the last few years how we do things on our farm a little bit and, and certainly take your feedback about how you make those decisions on your farm and also take any agronomic questions you may have at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us radio at agphd.com. All right, let's head to the phone lines here. We've got Mike from Texas on with us first. Mike, how are you doing?
3: I'm good. How about you guys?
0: You know what? We're doing well. Hey, I drove drove to work this morning, 26 degrees, a few snowflakes in the air, and I'm betting you probably didn't have that in Texas.
3: <laughs> no, you know, we had that one freeze and that was bad enough.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll keep it up here for a while. We We don't need to send yeah, that down know, to you anytime soon. Uh,
3: I'm, I'm pretty happy that I don't ever have to shovel snow or anything like that, you
0: know? Well, Hey, here's the good thing, Mike, we kill a lot of bugs that way. So we don't have any more mosquitoes or any of those things to deal with. And, uh, so it's kind of nice.
3: We got plenty of those for you now. If you want, if you need some mosquitoes, we'll ship you some.
0: (laughs) No, we'll stay away from that. Okay. Hey, uh, I understand you had a question around Roundup. What, what are you thinking today, Mike?
3: Well, I got a a friend of mine that on his, uh, behind his house, he has a lot of those elephant ears. Those, you know, they just kind of come up wild and everything. And I know if you, you know, if you spray certain uh, uh, weed killers on there, it just runs off the leaf. You know, you're not going to get any kind of kill And I saw y'all's article that says how to make Roundup work better. Uh, So I was just maybe assuming that, you know, you add a surfactant. But then you guys got uh, chemistry-wise on me, and it went into ionic and (laughs) non-ionic and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. Go ahead.
3: And I and I'm, I'm wondering if Dawn detergent is what fits the bill.
1: No, I can tell you that right now. With Dawn, when you look at the ingredients that are in there, there are a couple things I don't like. One, sodium chloride. Two, phenoxy uh, ethanol. And Ethanol is basically, if you think about it, when you start putting alcohol into anything, what usually happens? Evaporation. So we don't like that. Um, You'll have better luck with actual non-ionic surfactants and non-ionic surfactants are quite inexpensive anyway. So, uh, and there are some, if you do a little research on the internet, you'll find some articles talking about using detergents or or dish soap or whatever in place of surfactants and the the results may have been good 40 years ago but not today we've got really good stuff like with these non-ionic surfactants and they're inexpensive so that could be part of it that you might want the non-ionic surfactant that will help spread and stick it on the leaf and so you right. get a little bit better performance that way. But I would also say one of the big factors, and you mentioned it, you said you see a lot of the, the water running off or the spray solution running off the leaf of whatever you're trying to kill. So when you say right. elephant ear, I think velvet leaf but I'm assuming you're probably talking about something different. But the fact of the matter is if you have too much spray solution so it's running off the top and when it's Roundup, I don't care what weed it is, it's not going to work as well because Roundup on the ground does you zero good. It has to get right. on and into the plant. So what we usually right. will say is cut the water volume, leave the, the amount of Roundup on a per acre basis the same, but cut the water volume and then you'll have a more concentrated spray drop droplet and a, and better control. The other thing is you could, with some broadleaf weeds, they have developed tolerance or even resistance to Roundup. So if Roundup isn't working, you might be able to use something like uh, the new 2,4-D Freelix that doesn't volatilize like all the old 2,4-Ds did. So Usually around the yard, that's the product that we're talking about now. Roundup's not going to be labeled moving forward if it's in a uh, residential type setting.
3: Well, this isn't residential, uh, you know. Honestly and truthfully, this is a a, a house that you know we have. A, it, it, it ends. It's a lakefront front property. And it, you know, the ground stays kind of, you know, wet because of the water table. Sure. And it just seems like this, this elephant ear, it just keeps coming up, you know, it's, uh, and, uh, there's another, golly, I'm trying to remember what the name of this stuff is. Uh, we we bought some stuff from like Tractor Supply,
1: and that right there's the problem. Usually that stuff's going to be real watered down. Nothing against that company or anything, but typically they right. don't have the same stuff that an ag retailer well, will. And they're they're, trying to, sell, they're trying
0: to sell ready to use stuff. And exactly. how do you know which concentration you want? Depend. It depends on which weed you're yep. going to be. After. So
1: our suggestion is usually go to the ag chemical retailer, get something that's actually going to kill the weed, keep the water volume low and the use rate high, and you're You'll be in good shape.
3: Okay. All right. So dose dose it up a little more than what it normally would be,
1: and cut the water volume, and you got it.
3: Listen, fellas, I appreciate what y'all do. I'm sure everybody else does too. Well, thanks. uh, God bless. God bless those farmers and those guys that are willing to get out there and do that stuff. Because if it wasn't for y'all, we wouldn't have it.
1: <laughs> you bet. Thanks a lot, Mike. Great talking to you today. Really appreciate
0: that. And said, so back to the phone lines here, we got Eric Miller with us right now with NK Seeds and Syngenta. Eric, thank you so much for calling. What can we do for you? Can we talk a little soybeans with you today?
4: Yeah, let's do it. Uh, we've had some uh, excellent yields here in 2021 and uh, looking forward to maybe talking a little about 2022.
0: Okay, so the first question every farmer wants to ask us right now is talk to us about traits. What about all these traits? I just say, (laughs) isn't this fun? we got some different choices now in soybeans where we didn't used to have things like this, so it's great.
4: (laughs) Well, you're exactly right. That is the first topic of conversation when it comes to uh, selecting soybean varieties. And uh, at NK, we're very fortunate to have trait choice. We have uh, options with our proprietary and exclusive genetics. And enlist E3 and extend Flex. So, it's a fun conversation for us to be able to offer that offer that trade choice to uh, farmers across the U.S.
0: You know, killing the weeds is one of the things that we're really looking for, these types of options in soybeans. The other thing is handling tough diseases and some of the stress. Man, we had a stressful year in 2021 for a lot of the crops around the country. Uh, when, when NK is developing some of these proprietary genetics, I, I know that's a big focus. Uh, are there certain diseases or, or certain things that are characteristics that you are really been working on hard here the last couple of years?
4: Yeah, sure have, and it'll vary by geography, of course. But uh, soybean cyst control, uh, soybean white mold, and of course uh, phytophthora uh, are the top of the list. Also include uh, soybean sudden death syndrome in that. And you know those those key diseases and those key perils uh, are something that we certainly do focus on. And um, calling out our new series of Field Board Series uh, products for 2022. Um, those. Those items and those agronomic concerns and traits are, are top of mind uh, when it comes when it came to selecting those those products and when it comes to recommending them uh, to farmers.
0: I've gotten a chance to work with a a lot of your regional uh, tech guys and breeder reps, and it's been really exciting to see some of the things. I love that you've got trait choice, number one, that uh, you can go a number of different ways and and still help farmers out depending on their situation. But I've really enjoyed seeing the focus, too, on things like sudden death syndrome, because when we're trying to pick varieties to to handle that, uh, if that variety doesn't have much tolerance, we just don't have much of a chance.
4: Yeah, that's right. That's a key disease that uh, we do focus on. You know, historically and traditionally, we see that more in the corn belt. It's starting to, to expand uh, and make its way north. And um, I've seen more instances of that, uh, given some of the stresses we've seen over the last couple of years as well.
0: So, Absolutely, all the way uh, up into North Dakota and those. Those early maturities that we just hadn't seen it before. It, it was really scary this last year. Uh, hey Eric, uh, we're up against a break here. If you can hang on, I'd, I got a couple more questions for you right after this break. Stay tuned. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC
2: Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. Did we mention economical? Longbow
0: EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall.
5: Don't let resistant weeds win on your field. Herbicide resistant weeds are a fierce competitor of corn growers. Tough 5 EC, a selective contact herbicide manufactured by Belgium Crop Protection can help. Tuff 5 EC synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Add Tuff 5 EC to your post-emergence tank mix team and beat resistant weeds. Ask your local retailer about Tuff 5 EC or visit belchemusa.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
0: How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300 bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop. Register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other AgPHD events that we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in soybeans and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information that we can't wait to share with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com.
6: Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds including kochia, marestail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
2: It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer to learn more contact your retailer today protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards visit mybayerplus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details
0: we're talking soybean seed decisions on today's Ag PhD radio program and taking your calls and questions at 844 844- 44 ag PhD real happy to have Eric Miller with us right now with NK seeds and Syngenta and kind of ran into a break there but had more questions to ask Of Eric, And again, if you want to get in and ask your questions, maybe you're thinking, ah, Darren's talking about SDS. I don't have that, but I've got some other challenge out there in my soybean fields. uh, You can sure call in 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, Brian, can you pull Eric up? My my mouse and my computer is not working here today. Uh, All right, Eric, uh, I had a couple more questions for you. Thanks for holding on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Alright, one that we get a lot of questions around is white mold. Why is it so tricky to get resistance? I know that you've got some excellent varieties with really good tolerance to white mold, but we don't have like that clear resistance gene out there. What's going on there?
4: Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's it's something that we have to really work hard at, at managing through different practices. Uh, we think about crop rotation, we think about uh, row spacing, we think about uh, seeding rates, to help deal with a, a disease like that. But it is, is something that we, we track very closely in that white mold. Uh, tolerance within the genetics and within that plant um, is a big part of that positioning and product selection
0: how about with soybean cyst nematode I know you had mentioned that earlier that that's been a real focus and I, I've been watching what you've had in your lineup I know that you're you're working with Peking and some of the other resistant sources out there where do you think that's going to go five years from now are we still going to be talking about the PI 88788 or are we going to be looking at something new
4: yeah we continue to get questions uh more often about alternate cyst uh, protection and uh Certainly the Peking is something that we look for uh, to bring into our portfolio. We have a couple of options right now, a 14W6E3 uh, being that one up north in uh, in your geography there. And uh, we'll continue to work on that. But uh, we just completed advancements for 2023. And every single uh, variety that we bring in, um, in all regions that we certainly earn, at least in the Corn Belt and north, certainly do have CIS protection, whether it's uh, 88788 or uh, some form of alternate uh,
0: protection yeah it's it's a big topic of of discussion or, or as we talk to farmers around the country just seeing some of the trials seeing how uh, there's starting to be a little bit more uh, soybean cyst nematode reproduction even on the resistant plants out there so i always got to ask those tough questions uh, eric you've been so generous with your time is there anything else you wanted to talk about today in terms of soybean seed decisions
4: I know. really appreciate having me on, and I uh, just encourage all the retailers and farmers out there uh, to go to nkseeds.com for more information.
0: Hey, thanks a lot. We're talking with Eric Miller here with NK Seeds and Syngenta. Thanks, Eric. Really appreciate it.
4: Thank you. Let's
0: head over to Minnesota. We've got Harmon Wiltz with us right now with Decal Basgro. Harmon, thanks for joining us.
5: Hey, certainly. happy to be with you to talk uh, agronomics and products.
0: You know we're we're talking about some of the tough uh, defensive traits, and I think you know everybody gets talking about these traits, and they are exciting. It's nice that we've got all these options like mm-hmm. extend flex, where we've got uh, the opportunity to spray Liberty or Roundup or dicamba, uh, and and of course all the conventional herbicides too. Uh, when we think about some of those defensive traits, though, I know your territory in Minnesota. A lot of people talk about high pH and soluble salts, and we've really seen some advancements in those things too. Uh, talk to us about what to look for with some of the new varieties coming out this year.
5: Yeah, certainly I think, uh, you know, if you, depending on where you're at, that when you're in a position where, you know, you've got high pH salts and carbonates, the iron chlorosis efficiency, that has to be really your number one pick. Um, you gotta find that bean, and then all the other characteristics. You hope you can kind of find them around. But to put in a bean that is average uh, from an iron chlorosis standpoint, and then be in a spot where, hey, I like this other stuff. Um, we do nothing but have yellow beans and dead beans. So number one, trick, I think that we really got to focus on is which varieties really are the best, for, kind of for that IDC. You know, from there, there's a kind of a nice uh, another list that I kind of love to talk about beans and. and uh, standability is becoming one of the bigger picks that we've got to really look at as we grow
6: higher yielding
5: soybeans. Um, the standability is becoming more important as we have more pods, more yield. And then on top of that, because of white mold, that standability becomes a really, really important piece too. So I think that in my book is becoming a really big factor. And then, as we mentioned, white mold is a really a key to which varieties, you know, it really starts with picking the better beans, uh, having the right tolerance level. And of course, there's some other uh, agronomics that we can work with uh, from a white wool standpoint. And then, you know, the phytophthora, um, you know, that warm, wet rains. Last year we didn't have a lot, but most years we have, uh, you know, the phytophthora. The, looking for those uh, beans with the RPS3A gene, has, those really have seemed to risen to the top from a yield perspective, uh, kind of, you know, year in and year out from that perspective. And, uh, and then really knowing, hey, what row spacing are you in to make sure you've got those uh, you know, the good standability beans, or do we need something that canopies a little bit quicker? So, a number of factors there as we uh, kind of weigh into that. Um, back to the IDC, you know, using some tools out there, iron key light type products on top of your really good IDC beans really seems to uh, be our best bet to have growers in a spot where we're not seeing as many yellow spots, and if we do, they grow out of it faster. So we can combine whole fields at one time uh, really gets to be a key so you know, those are some of the big big factors and systematode is becoming a bigger one as we move forward so finding ways to manage systematode is, is kind of really key so
0: yeah, there there are a lot of challenges there and here's the other challenge. So you've had some great extend soybeans. Now you've got a basically a brand new lineup with a lot of extend flex coming out and there's been a lot of demand for that. A lot of farmers talking about that. And it's hard to have those complete varieties year one or year two. And just looking at yield trials Harmon, you had some excellent yielding extend flex beans. How long is it going to be till you got the complete bean where you have most of those dependable of traits in the same bean as well.
5: Yeah, you know, it's not overnight. It's not perfect. Uh, if we take a look at it, uh, we started out with our Extend Flex, uh a good example, like 13XFOs. So those would be our first ones. Now we're actually up to the Extend Flex 2. So we have three years of release now. And I would say now, Brian, we're in a spot where, hey, we've got a yield at this point, uh, Brian and Darren. Uh, and we've been able to really put the, the phytophthora gene in. We feel a lot better about white mold. There's a couple, three of them that have risen to the top nicely for the IDC part of things too, like a 10XF ones, a 13XF Os, or 21XF Os. So I think we're kind of at that point now where I'd say, and for 2022, I feel like we could take and go ahead and have a, you know, farmer that's got 10, 12 bean fields and really be able to give him a solid, solid yield and agronomic on top of the IDC. Uh, extend flex bean and that uh, to fit kind of all of his fields and that's kind of what is, a, is an agronomist working with our breeders and our plant uh, uh, folks that are are developing these products it's like that's what we're looking for so I would say I think we're right there in 2022 we were not there in 2021 20, uh, and 2020 yet but with the new releases from last year uh, feeling really really good about uh, adding a little more IDC adding a little bit more Phytophthora adding just a little bit more uh, yield to go with it, too. So I, I think we're kind of right there as we go
0: forward. You know, I think in the group ones and twos and threes, the lineup is really solid. When you look at the the really late beans, uh, and, and late to me is the late fours, fives, sixes, and then the super early beans, the zeros and double zeros, those are always the guys that are a year or two behind on on new trait releases. So I've probably gotten more questions about Extend Flex from the double zero guys up in the northern part of North Dakota, northern Minnesota. What have you got coming there? I know you do a lot of research in the north, Harmon. Are you seeing some pretty exciting products coming this year, or are we one more year out?
5: You know, I think the new releases from last year really gave us growers a nice opportunity, and the new ones coming this year, we'll be rolling those out uh, in December. Uh, We'll have uh, 24 new varieties coming out uh, across the U.S., which will be pretty exciting from Group 0 to Group 7 as we go forward. And, you know, a lot of times what occurs is You know these traits are in like a group three that you work with, and then from there you get the traits and you get the characteristics into uh, kind of that wider range. So it always does work at the end of the spectrums, the the double zeros and the sevens. But uh, um, feeling quite good actually with our last year's releases, the XF twos, and our new ones coming this coming year that. We're gonna have a, a pretty nice package for most growers to uh, go grow with the extend flex. And I think the other thing is that really has been a well, I'm gonna call it lifesaver from a weed control perspective.
0: You've got the Oh, you're, tell, you're telling you're telling me, Harmon. You don't you don't have to tell Brian and me that we've been screaming for this for a long time. Oh man, we can't wait till we get the stack traits out. So we're pretty excited about them too. We're talking to Harmon Wilts. You can tell how excited he is about soybean seed selection. Thank you so much, Harmon. Really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
6: Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
2: Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva Agriscience, the newest premium Group 15 pre emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber Clean. And what is Kyber Clean? Well, it's a little like. Nice fields. See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy.
0: How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? i Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD soybean agronomy workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you wanna make raising beans more lucrative and fun, you don't wanna miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com.
2: You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research proven results you need. AgroLiquid, apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too.
5: Get Veltema Fungicide, swift activity with fast payback. An expanded application window (sighs) makes life simple. And it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltema Fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltema Fungicide is not registered in all states.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking soybean seed decisions. Picking out those right beans can make a big difference for your profitability and your success on the farm. And I know we talk about a lot of these things throughout the year, but we thought it'd be important to have a show like this. And it's also important to have some good advice. So we've got our friend Kevin Matthews, who farms in North Carolina and works with the Extreme Ag Group to to talk a little bit to. Kevin, how you doing? Doing fine, sir. Hope you guys are. We are, we are. we're uh, we're kind of getting ready to make these seed decisions for our own farm, though, pouring through some of the data, looking at some of the things that we observed this year on the farm. But uh, I've been to your farm. I've seen some pretty fantastic soybeans. In fact, I've got some pictures just of how many pods you're able to hold on some of these plants. So I know you know a few things about this, Kevin. Uh, how much for, let me start with this. How big a deal is strip tillage? How big a deal is fertility on the soybeans? Can you make a, an average bean, a hundred bushel bean?
7: Oh, yes. It's attention to detail. and It's just the little things. you you got to gotta address all of them. And it's, it's very important. Um, I tell people, you really need to treat your soybean crop like your corn crop. And uh, just the attention to detail and... Um, Get your populations right. Plant dates is so so critical with the maturity dates of the beans. Um, it's, it's the whole package. But yeah, those those yields are certainly obtainable.
0: All right, another question we get a lot about soybeans is irrigation whether it's a drip tape type irrigation or center pivot type irrigation there's a lot of talk out there about well you don't want to start irrigating too soon you'd kind of like to see the beans stress just a little bit so the roots roots go down what's been your experience with that
7: yeah I don't agree with that myth Um, I just don't agree with it at all if you got a happy environment for those roots to grow them rascals are going to grow they're going to grow everywhere they they're going to get all the nutrients they can get and they love water Uh, that's our biggest limiting factor for us Uh, either our river bottoms too much sometimes and our uplands always seems like not enough
0: yeah, I know I know what you're talking about there. The the if the hills are burning up and the river bottoms uh, are flooded out, it's not a good situation. So we got to find that happy medium for sure. Okay, here's another topic, early planting. So I'd say this year we had more farmers talk to us about I'm putting beans in a week, two weeks, maybe even more earlier than normal. What's the strategy on your farm? Is there a, a date that you'd say, uh, this is an early date for me and I'm, I'm pushing for that? Or, or are you a guy that likes to let things warm up first?
7: Uh, so traditionally in, in our area, a traditional plant date would be, um, May would be considered early planting, uh, early May. Mid-May would be kind of on time for full season beans. And then you run into your double crop beans, which is behind wheat or barley. Um, and sometimes halage, then those would be planted in the month of june but traditionally they run group fives through sevens on maturities and we don't do that here we like to start our insurance date is april 20th i'd love to see them move it up about 25 days um, on end of march to the end of march first april we like to be planting, uh, when we start planting corn, we're planting soybeans. We're running three planters, uh, planting two crops. We manage our maturities. We start out with a 4.9 in early April. Uh, late March, early April, we plant the 4.9s, which is the latest maturing beans we grow. And then when we get closer to May, we're cutting back to towards a 4.2. Then when we get to May, after about the 8th, the 10th of May, from there to the end of June, we will plant nothing but threes, group threes, 3.8s and then down to 3.6. And we are focusing 100% plant date, maturity date, maturity group around June 21st, summer solstice. That is the easiest money you can make.
0: Yeah, that flowering date is is really important, and I know we've seen that with our early planted beans. We can get a little further along before we hit there and we're able to catch more of that sunlight, turning it into beans, which is a great tip. Uh, How about early canopy? I know you've got weed control challenges in North Carolina. We take a lot of calls from your state. Everybody's talking about pigweed down there. Uh, If you can get that early planting, get the early canopy, that's got to help with weed control
7: it certainly does um it, and we we plant soybeans on 20 inch rows we really like the 20 inch rows 15s are great uh it's just your is more expensive a 15 inch planter versus a 20 inch planter um you'll benefit it quite enough to hardly cover it on the planter and we can drive down our 20 inch rows and if we go with 15s we're pretty much running over some so the canopy is very important because we're driving down that row and we're not running over. We don't have a 30-inch middle or whatnot. But if the early plant dates, these wider row beans are yielding extremely well. There's a lot of 30-inch beans that are doing extremely well on the early plant dates.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting as you make some of those adjustments. the the cultural practices like that, going from a thirty to a twenty, or going from a twenty to a fifteen or a ten. Uh, there there's a lot of differences there you got to manage through. Uh, what about okay you you run into a lot of challenges in in North Carolina and uh, are, are there some disease issues that you're always saying, man, I got to have this or that in my soybean variety if I'm going to be successful.
7: Yeah, you know when you get above seems like when you get above that 70 bushel plateau sudden death is always a, a bear that you've got to manage and then you know our frog eye and septoria and cercospora is is always there we it's it's an every year thing for us we manage it really well with uh, the the brand fungicide we've used all of them uh, all of them are good under certain situations but the you know the extra modes of action We've had about a five to six bushel advantage with our ReviTech versus some of our other products that we've used. We've had a couple of years that we've used other products and used a much higher rate than label, and they done extremely well. But dollar-wise, it equaled out to the same ROIs using the standard rate of the of the uh, Revitec fungicide.
0: Alright, we're talking with Kevin Matthews here down in North Carolina about soybean seed decisions and, and just covered a bunch of ground here talking about planting date, maturities that you're picking, trying to get those beans as far along as you can by summer solstice so they can catch all those nice long sunshine days and turn that into yield. Uh, Kevin, what are we missing here? We got fertility we covered just a little bit. We didn't talk any specifics on that. Is there any specific nutrient that you'd say your soils, man, if I'm short of K, M i'm in trouble or if i'm short of zinc i'm in trouble
7: shucks our souls are short of everything we ain't got them good souls like kelly Garrett's no
0: no there. no we get we get soils over here too uh that that are pretty tough and most of the time that's the ground we want brian to farm but uh i don't know if you, if right. you got that kevin maybe maybe you get danielle to farm that kind of ground or something you take the sweet spots
7: she likes the good places. I don't know. She's <laughs> she's been poor. So right? all I ever seen. <laughs> well, she's the, no the dummy. Done, <laughs> yeah. the The one thing we've really done different that we're we're just about full bore on now is is our soybean desiccation. We are we're treating our soybeans. Uh, you know, we're looking at it like our wheat crop now, and our wheat crop to maintain a good milling quality, we don't want that wheat to dry out. Really, we want it the first time it hits 13%, we want it in the bin because every time it gets wet and dry, wet and dry, the test weight goes down, the quality goes down, and the yield goes down. And we're seeing that in soybeans. And we've started really heavy on the desiccation and basically moving our harvest up about three weeks on the front side. And that has been a big game changer for us. It's given us the ability to get the crop in. That's about a 10% yield advantage early on is what we're seeing on our data. It's also giving us the opportunity that we're done sooner so we can start doing fall field work that makes the spring much easier for us. So we're kind of liking that.
0: I think you're gonna raise a lot of eyebrows with that one. You guys think, wait a minute, that might be an idea. Cause I know on the East Coast this year it's been tough getting beans out of the field in some areas. Uh, Talking with our friend Kevin Matthews down in North Carolina. Kevin, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today.
7: Yes, sir. Y'all take care. Thank you.
0: Listening to Ag PhD Radio,
7: we'll be right back.
2: Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market claiming to improve soil health and plant development. But what's right for your farm? That's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products. We want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out other AgPHD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to helping you understand soils and making your own fertility recommendations, and much more. There's great information here that we want to share with you. So to learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it all with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle, and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com.
2: Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training So be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking about soybean seed decisions on the show today and also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head over to Illinois. Got Robert with us. Robert, how are you doing?
8: I'm doing pretty good. i kind of got the day off, so that's, uh, that can be a problem sometimes. You get thinking too much. Oh, man. Yeah, um, it doesn't happen
0: very often that you get a day <laughs> that's off.
8: Right. That's right. Uh, I've got a question on it sounds like one of those uh, questions, like, I I know a guy, whenever you're really talking about yourself, but this really is the other guy. Um, He had banded 200 pounds of potash uh, and fall strip till uh, ahead of beans. And um, he was not satisfied with the yield. He thought he'd lost a little bit of yield compared to the neighbors this year. Do you have any concerns about salt load in our environment? Uh, on uh, relatively heavy soils uh, and plenty of rain, um, would you have a concern about salt level with uh, murated potash under the row of beans?
0: Okay, so uh, tell me about the band then. Is this a two-by-two band? Is this a strip-till band? No, it, it,
8: was, it was a strip-till band with a, with a shank.
0: Okay. How
8: deep? And, uh, I think uh, uh, five to six inches.
1: Okay, so um, that's a little on the close side. I'll, I'll tell you what we've done a lot of in the past, though. We kind of look at, all right, let's say we're going for 80 bushel beans. And I say grain removal only for potassium, K2O potassium, 96, 96 pounds. So if I divide that by 0.6, that means roughly I'm somewhere around 150, 160 pounds of potash. And we've done that in a band, deep band for years and years. And I can't say that we've ever had any problem. In fact, I think we get yield gain most of the time. Uh, but we're going as much as we can, eight to 10 inches deep. So we're getting a little bit deeper. We're a little bit further away and potash in your heavy soil. It's not like it's going to be leaching. It's there. If let's say it's five inches And a lot of times, here's kind of what I found, we uh, believe our equipment is doing something and then we go look and we go, oh, whoa, (laughs) you know, yeah, yeah, you're laughing, you know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, if that was at three inches or two inches, yeah, that could have caused a problem. So the key is separating that seed from the fertilizer. So if you can get it way down deep, great. Now we've also done some work with so- the Soil Warrior machine, where they've got it so it basically spreads it out in that uh, in that strip. So we're zero all the way down to let's say nine inches deep or something maybe eight and we've spread it out and that's been pretty good as well but yeah i would i check the equipment and make sure we're not getting it too shallow but otherwise i mean 200 pounds it, we're pushing it because let's face it that's a build program unless you're getting 100 bushel beans right. so and right. i'm assuming we're not talking 100 bushel beans here
8: i i think uh in our vicinity they're the range this year was 75 to 85 and my impression was uh, my my friends probably 50 75 miles away from where i live but yep. um yep uh, i think it, in his territory he may have been looking at 70 bushel beans where he was expecting 75 or something like that. Yeah, so,
1: But, uh, you know, there are so many factors whenever we compare ourselves to the neighbor, you know, variety right. and fertility and, I mean, all the treatments we do, do during the year. So to just say, well, I think it's that, <laughs> that's really yeah. hard because I've been in the same boat. So unless he had some where it was treated and untreated, I mean, you're never really going to know. But do I think that there was much of a problem? Probably not, unless he got it too shallow.
8: Okay. Uh, Got one other comment pertaining to the tile. Um, I think it was some 40 years ago when my dad first got interested in pattern tiling. And um, something that he explained to me, and I've heard you kind of, we're pretty close to using similar terminology, but he said in the soil that you have two kinds of water: you have gravitational water and capillary water. Yep. And um, and I've explained to potential uh, customers on our on our tiling business, that this drain tile is essentially the same thing as putting the hole in the bottom of the flower pot that you you know you buy at Walmart or whatever. Right. Uh, the excess water just goes out through that hole. Yep. And uh, I think gravitational water is kind of something that um, uh, it, it, it's a good it's a good term to use. So. Anyway.
1: Yeah, I agree, and it's a lot more politically correct than my term of toxic water. As soon as I say toxic water, Darren <laughs> goes, "Whoa, Brian! It's there's nothing wrong with the water, other than the fact that water just by itself, cl- perfectly clean, healthy water." kills you when there's too much, just like a person would drown your plants drown. So we can't have that. We've got to have air in that soil, but yeah, uh, your gravitational term is, is much better than much my friendlier. Term. <laughs> hey, hey, one yeah. last thing. I was, I was going to go back to that yeah. potash deal. Um, uh, I, I would say when we're talking about any kind of build program, that's usually where we say, you know what, let's do that broadcast. We're great with feeding the plant in a band, Uh, So, you know, 150 pounds of potash, 120 pounds of potash, 100 pounds of potash, something like that, great. Just keep it away from the seed because, yes, potash does have a lot of salt. But if we want to go on a build program and we start talking more than 200 pounds, which, you know, a lot of people have been seeing their corn leaning and everything else. They're thinking, oh, boy, I'm short on potash. And they are. Uh, The build program probably needs to be in a broadcast just so it's safer for our seed.
8: Uh, All right. I, I thank, thank you for your time. You're always uh, very helpful. So, awesome. Thanks, thanks for the thank call, you.
0: Robert. Appreciate it. Yep, we'll see you later. All right, Brian, let's dive into the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! Got this one from Anthony in West Central Minnesota. He said, I've got a quarter section, it's irrigated, and I own the ground. I'm, I'm sending you my soil samples here we got 80 soil samples from this 160 acres so about two acre grit I said just wondering where should I start I'm thinking about gypsum looks like I need some calcium and sulfur I can also do some variable rate Uh, I'm also forgetting zinc and phosphorus ratios right just wondering where you'd go with fertilizer prices where they are we're shooting for 270 this year on our corn
1: Okay, and I can see why he's shooting for 270. He's done an excellent job with potassium limiting factor. Whoa, 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 whoa! Did you just say
0: somebody did an excellent job on potassium? I know, Anthony. I I, it must be amazing on these tests because Brian's never happy with where the potassium's
1: at. Yeah, now I'm not going to say everything is perfect, but the lowest I see, just quickly glancing through, is 4.6% base saturation case. That's a little on the low side for what he's shooting for for yield. But still, you know, this is, uh, oh, and I should say, too, this is 10 to 15 cation exchange capacity. So he's done it. Well, he has done an excellent job with potassium. It's not like he can start getting skimpy on that in terms of, oh, I'm just going to cut way back because in that medium textured soil, it doesn't hold a ridiculous amount. So here's one just as a quick example, 7.5% base saturation K, which sounds like, oh, wow, he's great. Well, he's good, 284 parts per million. So you're talking almost 600 pounds per acre. Uh, And and that is good. I'm not Complaining about that—that's like I said—you've done a, a good job building up that K. You just—if you're going to pull 270 off, though, <laughs> we can't forget we're going to have uh, have to replace that at some point. But for this year, you're in pretty good shape in most areas on that K. So where the the downfall is at the moment, it's the phosphorus. The phosphorus is just flat out too low in a lot of areas. So when you're down at 20 parts per million, that's way too low for 270 bushel corn. So you've got to raise that up. And then in correlation with that, you need to make sure that you're keeping your zinc and your copper levels uh, equivalent. So a lot of times what we'll talk about is 10 to 1 ratio of phosphorus to zinc and about a 30 to 1 ratio of phosphorus to copper. Uh, the copper levels here are as low as 0.2, a lot of 0.2s, 0.4s. Uh, that That's one of the problems right now in your field is way too low a copper. Uh, I, I, in terms of this using gypsum thing, you know, you can use some gypsum and I'm fine building the calcium a little bit. Because he's got a lot of right around 60% calcium and his magnesium's 20 to 25, but honestly, I'm not going to invest a lot of dollars in that. Get enough out, get enough gypsum out there just to satisfy your sulfur needs because your sulfur is ridiculously low. Uh, but you know, it. I, I just put it this way. I haven't found building that calcium makes you tons of money. Can it help? And is it a long-term thing? Yes. So You can start working on the gypsum thing and building calcium, but I, I wouldn't get too carried away and spending lots of dollars there. Oh, and one last thing, boron really, really low, 0.2 to 0.4, you need more.
0: All right. Thanks for uh, the questions there, Anthony. We really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.